the idea of we're going to give you free college, free this, free that. Oh. And it's not free. People are paying for it. These, these empty promises, who is going to promise more? You're saying, I'm not going to give you anything. I'm going to give you your liberty and your freedom. And that's what I think we're all screaming for. There's a large population of people who do not buy into this. And it just makes me sick of how people are so economically uneducated or ignorant that they don't mm -hmm. understand how money works and how all this kind of intertwines and how this all works together. And it keeps every individual under the government's boot. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my ray of truth, Miss Rayleigh Lightheart. Bam! Hey, Johnny, how are you? Good. Been uh, working. It's it's February here, but what I find hilarious about Phoenix is I got sunburned today. <laughs> yeah, I was like on, on a roof somewhere, like running wire, and uh, I just I got sunburned. And it's February, and my neck—I mean, it literally looked like a redneck. It's it's kind of funny. But That's awesome. No, it's I not. I love the sun. No, it's not that. <laughs> it's going to be like 120 degrees <laughs> later on. Okay, my my son and I were just talking about how much we hate going outside and running or exercising outside because right. it's always raining on us and we don't like coming inside, taking off all of our clothes and still being wet. We're yeah. like, we hate yeah, that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, yeah. Did I tell you about the thing that happened to me the other day with my foot? Like I came home oh. from work and I walked into the house and all of a sudden I felt like this sharp pain in my foot and I had no idea what happened. Oh like, yeah, and you found a wire in your foot. I found you a wire. It was like a inch long. Like it just, I couldn't see wow. it. Wow. And I'm like, I, I couldn't walk on my foot. And I'm looking around, like, I got to find some tweezers or something. Look around and knock on my neighbor's door. I'm like, can I borrow these real quick? And I'm digging around on my foot. A and wire. I pulled out an inch long, like, I don't know, like cable wire, stereo wire, speaker wire. Horrible wow. story. It's like a nightmare. Actually, I'm really glad you saved it for the show because people should know story. that can happen. That is frightening. How, yeah. How, what are the odds of you stepping on a wire on that angle? I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Okay, yeah. Raylene, I am excited about this guest. Been a big mm -hmm. supporter of this guest. You've heard me talk mm -hmm. about this guest. Even before this guest actually announced that he's running for president or the Libertarian nomination, we have mm -hmm. Mr. Jacob Hornberger. Jacob Hornberger is founder and president of the Future of Freedom Foundation. You can find that at fff.org, a nonprofit educational foundation whose mission is to present the principled case for the libertarian philosophy. As a nonprofit foundation, though, that does not endorse his candidacy or any other candidacy. That's a disclaimer. On November 2nd, 2019, Mr. Hornberger announced his candidacy for the 2020 Libertarian Party nomination at the South Carolina State Convention. On that same day, he launched on Amazon his new book, My Passion for Liberty, where he details his life's journey from the courtroom to the world of libertarian education and explains how liberty became the passion of his life. At the same time, he describes in a clear and easy to understand way the core principles of libertarianism and how they are key to resolving the political and economic crisis we face in society. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. 
Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Jacob Hornberger! Welcome to the show, sir. Well, it's thank you, and it's great to be here, except that I got to tell both of you that I hate both of you. I need to say that right <laughs> off the <laughs> Wow. Okay. Now, the reason I hate you is because you're over there in that nice hot weather in Phoenix while I'm over here freezing my tail off in the latter part of February. <laughs> Trust me, though, I'm going to be saying that to you next summer because this last summer, it was like 105, 115 May through, no, June through like August. Miserable. Every day. You couldn't even go outside. Okay, that's just his sunshine privilege. That's all I have to say. No, No, you got to understand 110 is heaven for me. I grew up in South Texas. Oh, yeah. I, I get my revenge over everybody that was having a good time. In <laughs> right. <the game>. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, you can't hate Raylene because she's in Washington. So we, you oh, know, so okay. she's. Okay, misery loves company. Yeah, there yes, you go. Does. You can't hate yes, her. See, I'm we not... can be friends. <laughs> I love you, Raylene. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Hornberger, welcome aboard the Liberty, the ship that has lapped the left, rocked the right, and has stayed on True North for Destination Freedom. Mr. Hornberger, we're going to play a little military game since you were in the military like me. What do you want your space cadet call sign to be when you're here on the show? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Um, How about Liberty Man? There you go. Liberty Man is in the house. So, uh, Mr. Hornberger, how did you find libertarianism and what are your biggest influences as a libertarian? This is the administrative questions I have to get out of the way. I just got to know, though, was it Mises? Well, not at first. Uh, That came later. It was really Leonard Reed. I'd walked into a public library in my hometown of Laredo, Texas. I was a practicing lawyer. I was about 28, 29 years old. And I was just disillusioned with politics. I was looking for something to read in the political science section. And I I was a liberal, liberal Democrat. And I found these four little books that the Foundation for Economic Education had published in 20 years before. And I started thumbing through them and it was just a total road to Damascus experience. Right. And I just, I was bowled over. I mean, the scales were falling from my eyes. I realized how I'd been lied to, especially in the public schools I'd gone to, the government schools. And uh, that was a, that was a changing point in my life. And so I, from there, I started reading these essays. They were a collection of essays written by different authors. But Leonard Reed, who founded the Foundation for Economic Education, had the biggest impact on me. And I I later wrote an essay, Leonard Reed Changed My Life. It got published by Fee, as it's called. And then Mises came later when I discovered the Austrian school. I I think that Mises is the greatest economist who's ever lived. Hmm. So, And then there was Henry Hazlitt and Frederick Bastiat and several other people. Right on, right on. Beautiful. Mr. Hornberger, we hear time and time again that the Libertarian Party does not put forth candidates who can be taken seriously. What do you believe that criticism really means about candidates in the past, and how are you doing it differently? Well, yeah, I'm not sure what that means either, 
But what I've always believed, and I, I served three terms on the National Platform Committee back in the 1990s, and I've always believed that libertarian principles are everything. I mean, they, they are our greatest asset. Right on. I remember when, when the guy called me to ask me to serve on the platform committee, he asked me, he made the request and I said no to him. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, because this, I didn't know any very much about the Libertarian Party and I'd been in the educational arena and I'd practiced law. I, I knew about the party though, but I said, this is a political party and, and it, that means it's gonna water down its principles and I'm not interested mm. in that. I'm interested in pure Libertarian principles and. He says, uh, the guy's name was Bill Evers. He was a big activist in the party back in the 90s, and he was on the platform committee. And he said, have you ever read the platform? And I said, no. And he says, well, would you read it if I sent it to you? And I said, sure. And I was skeptical. But I started reading this thing. I mean, and it was just this beautiful manifesto of liberty. I, you know, if Rothbard didn't write it, which people have told me that he did, um, somebody that liked Rothbard wrote it because it was just, fantastic. And I called Bill up and I said, it would be an honor to serve on this committee. And then during those three terms, there were people that saying, oh, we need to hide this and we got to delete this. This is costing us votes. And my position and Everett's position at the time was, look, this is our anchor. This is, this is our base. This is our foundation. This is our insurance policy against candidates who are out there expounding Republican-like principles and, right. and who are, I thought was hurting the party. Sure. And so over the years, I've seen candidates do that. They 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 run Republican light campaigns, and I don't understand that. Why would anybody choose a Republican light campaign? <laughs> yes, the Republican. I'm with you. I'm with you on this. I've never understood this. And like, here's the thing. Like, one of the things I have a problem is many members, you know, of the Libertarian Party, they want gradual change, and then there's other members who want radical change. Mm -hmm. And like you personally, like you running this campaign, what do you think is the best method? of instilling libertarian beliefs within our culture and society? And do you think radicalism is pragmatism? Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, that that's the point here is that, now there's different forms of radicalism when people go out and do something gimmicky mm -hmm. to get attention. I don't, I don't like that at all. But if you look at the pure message of libertarianism, it, it is a radical philosophy mm -hmm. and we need to embrace that radicalism. That's what brings you your your publicity, whether it's critical or favorable or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I'll give you an example, you know, I've been waging an active campaign in North Carolina and as part of the Super Tuesday primary. And I walked into his, a Hispanic newspaper there, big paper. I think it's the biggest in the state. It covers Charlotte, Raleigh and Winston-Salem. And the editor comes out and greets me and I introduce myself. And I said, I want you to know where I stand on immigration. I want to completely open the borders, abolish all immigration controls. Mm. And this is all in Spanish because I speak Spanish. And she says, oh, that's not really practical, is it? And I said, it's the only practical solution. There's nothing else that's going to work. The only thing that works is freedom and free markets. Well, she brings out her publisher. They escort me to a, a conference room. And after about five minutes of conversation, they said, we want you to come back for a full-scale interview. Hmm. And so I came back for an hour long interview and in Spanish and they just published it. Huge story about wow. North Carolina. Well, that's embracing the radicalism of, of liberty. Uh, you know, if you go into a newspaper editor and you say, I want to privatize social security, I want to phase it out over mm. the next 40 years, they're not going to care about that. 
But if mm-hmm. you walk in there and say, I want to abolish Social Security immediately because I believe it's wrong to force people to be good and caring, and I think that voluntary should be 100% voluntary, that's going to get their attention. Right on. And and it's the only it's the only solution to these things. So when I see this dichotomy in the party between the pragmatists and the purists, to me there's no dichotomy at all because pure libertarian principles are the only solution to the immigration crisis, the healthcare crisis, the out of control spending crisis, foreign policy, drug war, and and every other crisis that Democrats and Republicans have forced it upon our land with socialism, interventionism, and imperialism. Mm. Right on. Wow. So I was going to ask you about this. So every election, we see a town hall meeting type debate where some elderly person comes up and and gives a sob story and asks about their Social Security. So knowing that you're a principal libertarian, how do you plan on marketing your ideas to the voters? Is it literally being that bold or is there a way to bring in the logic or statistics or, or a way to to make people feel like you could sell off land and pay them back what they've paid in, something like that? None of those. Great. First one, being bold. And uh, nobody pays into anything. There is no... So you're going to Ron Paul it. I love this. There, yeah. is no, there is no Social Security fund. There never has been. Nobody contributes anything. People get taxed. Everybody's mm-hmm. gotten taxed. I've paid sales taxes all my life. And okay, let's assume that I that those add up to $100,000. Do I have a right to get my money back? <laughs> I mean, I put it into the system. I have a right to get my money back. Well, it's the same with Social Security. You just pay taxes. There's no there's no tie-in between the tax that like contributing to a fund or a lockbox in Fort Knox. It's a straight welfare program. It's been like that from the very beginning. Uh, you could abolish the so the FICA tax and there'd still be the welfare program. Or you could you could combine the FICA tax into the income tax because that's what they do. They collect <laughs> taxes and they spend them in the same year that they collect them and they spend them on anything, their foreign wars, the Vietnam War and so forth. And many of these seniors today supported all this junk. So mm-hmm. I, I go in there and I say, abolish it immediately. Now, if you're on the dole, you're not going to vote for me. I have no pretension. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Can I just say, I, I don't mean to be inappropriate. I am not flirting with you. I But that answer was the sexiest answer ever. I loved it. Thank you. I just, I have to say, beautifully done. Okay. Well, that's only half of it, Rayleigh, because the other half is, look, the people in the Dole are not going to vote for me unless they're libertarian mm-hmm. seniors. They'll vote for me. So mm-hmm. don't waste your time trying to convince a senior that's to right. vote for me. That's right. not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But what you do is you you focus on the people who are being fleeced and insulted. And those are the younger people. Mm-hmm. And when I say younger, I'm talking about 50 and below. That these are the people that are having their money taken from them to give to seniors. Mm-hmm. With a large portion of it going to finance the salaries of the bureaucrats who are collecting the taxes and administering the program. That's a lot of money that they're taking out to do this so-called service. Well, you tell young people that they're insulting you. For one thing, they're fleecing you. This is why you're having a hard time starting out. You can't get a down payment. But what they're saying to you with this program is that you're a bad young people. You need to be forced to take care of your parents and grandparents. We need to forcibly take your money from you and give it to the seniors, including your parents. Yes. A gigantic insult. It is. People have a right to keep everything they earn they decide for themselves whether to step up to the plate, help parents that are 
desperately in need or grandparents. And that's what charity is really all about. Not the impersonal bureaucracy and force of the IRS and the Social Security Administration. So that my target audience is, hey, join up with us libertarians to get rid of this socialist program. And that's what it is. It's a socialist program. I agree. And then you have the opportunity to do good things for your parents, your grandparents, or even seniors in the community that need help through church groups, community groups. So I'm trying to recapture a faith in people, but more important, I'm trying to get them to recapture a faith in themselves in others and in freedom. Wow. Right on, right on. Absolutely agree with you, Mr. Hornberger. And the thing is, is I always wondered, I was, when I was in the military, I got the FICA tax. I still have the thing and I still don't know what it is. I haven't looked it up. Whatever, I'm stupid. I know it's some federal income, something, whatever, but it's all, it's all BS. It, it's all nonsense. We have the right to keep our money. And again, mm -hmm. speaking of other candidates and other politicians that are out there right now, you know, it's, it's really hard. I think as a libertarian or in any other, any, anyone else who's running any other party is the idea of, oh, we're, we're going to give you free college, free this, free that, free oh. this. And it's not free. People are paying for it. These these empty promises. And and, and I, I think I've you know, I watched these democratic debates and stuff. And mm -hmm. it's just like, who is gonna promise more? Yeah. What you're doing is you're saying like I'm not gonna give you anything. I'm gonna give you your liberty and your freedom. And that's what I think we're all screaming for. There's a large population of people who do not buy into this. And it just makes me sick of how people are so economically uneducated or ignorant that they don't understand mm -hmm. how money works and how all this kind of, all this intertwines and how this all kind of works together. And it keeps every individual under the government's foot or boot mm -hmm. in this case. Mm -hmm. I think you're absolutely right. And, and I, I think part of the problem is that a lot of people don't realize that where government gets its money. They think that government is like a business in the marketplace. It makes its own money like a business does, and then it gives it out. And it is, it's a benefactor. It's philanthropic, you know, sort of like Bill Gates or something. Well, the government gets its money from one place, and that's through taxation. Mm -hmm. Or they borrow it, which then later has to be paid back in, with taxation. So the idea is that, okay, we're going to promise you a free college education. And let's say that costs $40,000. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where's the government going to get the money? Well, it taxes the family $40,000 and then says, here's another 40000 back to you for free. Well, obviously, that doesn't, it's not very logical. Why would anybody agree to such a census deal? So what they're, they're really doing is they're saying, we will take money from other people and give it to you. And, mm -hmm. and don't, we, we won't, we won't make you pay for it. We'll make other pay people pay for it. And so they, they make this promise to everybody when obviously that's, that's not very practical. They have to tax everybody. Right. Well, then they finally get to avoid that problem. They say, we'll take the money only from the rich. Sure. It's this coveting and this political stealing. I mean, this is where the God's commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. Thou shalt not steal. Right. And that's what the whole system is based on. And, and I think when people finally figure that out, that it's, it's destructive of their freedom to, to manage their own resources, it's destructive of, of their economic well-being, and it's insulting to them. We're going to give you freebies in return for your vote. We're going to bribe you. Essentially, it's political bribery that I think at some point voters are bound to say, we're going to reject this crooked, corrupt system. And so you're right. All I offer you is the ability 
the opportunity to manage your own life and your own resources. And, and that's the best thing you could ever have is compared to these socialist programs that they're promising. Rock and roll. Absolutely. Rock and roll. Great answer. Yeah. So memes are life and the media is rigged. How are you going to make America remember you? And what do you want them to take away, if not to the polls, as seeds planted in liberty? I think, you know, if, if I were to be remembered for anything, it's my campaign slogan, a campaign of principle for the party of principle. I mean, that's what the Libertarian calls, Party calls itself. It's not a label that other people have put on it. It's a label that we've adopted, the party of principle. What does that mean? It means that we don't sell out we are principles, that we stick with our principles come hell or high water. Uh, so, uh, for example, we favor open borders. Well, that's a controversial position. That, that likely is going to cost us votes. Doesn't matter. We stick with our principles because we believe that principles are everything. Ideals are everything. Sound ideas on liberty. This is what gave us things like freedom of speech and freedom of religion and due process of law. There's just <clears throat> various times in history where people are exhorted to think at a higher level and a deeper level where they kind of set aside their everyday problems in life and they go for the big things in life, like these principles and ideals of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And so I said, well, okay, I'm going to enter this race and I'm going to propose for, for the party members a campaign of principle where we take pure libertarian principles, none of this reform stuff, no vouchers and health savings accounts, we're going to be talking in terms of a genuinely free society. And, and that's one of my goals is to get, if I'm accorded the honor of this nomination, and I hope I am, I'm fighting for it, I would have the American people discussing and debating two questions every night over dinner. Number one, what does it really mean to be free? And number two, what is the legitimate role of government in a free society? Because I figure that if people are thinking about those two questions, very realistic chance of achieving a free society. I am with you on this. That's very, very cool. I like that. I think that is strong. Like, hey, I want people to have these conversations. Let's talk about it. And from that, if you question how much government do we need? Hey, what are we really free? Do we really have liberty? We keep saying these words. We keep throwing these words <laughs> around, but no one yeah, knows what it you means. Yeah, you do that every day. Every day you hear, and liberty yeah. and justice for all. Like people just say it because they're brainwashed to say it. They don't even know what it means. Mm -hmm. and, and here you are saying, what is liberty? Get people talking about it. I think it's beautiful. Amen. Uh, one question, uh, Mr. Hornberger. What group of people or audience do you think are most inclined to accept the libertarian message? And what do you think is the best way to reach these people? Do you think it's military veterans, maybe non-voters, the poor, independents, et cetera? You know, who do you think are the, the people who are maybe secretly craving this information or knowledge. All right. One group is the one I just mentioned, younger people, who are the ones getting fleeced and plundered with sure. all this income taxation. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so abolish the income tax, dismantle the welfare state uh, and the welfare state, leave people free to keep everything they earn. And that was, that was our founding governmental system. For some 150 years or so, People didn't pay income taxes. There was no IRS. There was no Social Security mm -hmm. or mandatory charity or Medicare or Medicaid. So that's one group, younger people. Second group is African-Americans. They are as natural libertarians as I've ever seen. Uh, and and you, you, you talk to them in terms of this horrific, deadly, and destructive, uh, racially bigoted war on drugs. I mean, mm -hmm. I consider this the most racially bigoted government program since segregation. 
there's a noted African-American scholar named Michelle Alexander, and she calls the drug war and the mass incarceration that's come with it the new Jim Crow. And that's exactly what it is. And when, I, when I've been campaigning in North Carolina, I've been talking to a lot of African-Americans about this thing, and they all get it. I mean, you go into white elite neighborhoods and you talk about the drug war and they'll say, oh, Jacob, we got to have the drug war because drugs are so bad. You know, as if they're, <laughs> yeah. nobody's saying drugs are good. We're saying they just don't belong in the criminal justice field. They yeah. belong in the private sector like alcohol and prohibition. Well, blacks get it. They understand that how this system's working. It's crooked and corrupt. It's it's just politicized and the, the, the law enforcement area, the judiciary. Uh, it's a crooked, corrupt system all the way through. So that's a second group. A third group is people who don't vote, the one you mentioned. I mean, there's a reason why people don't vote. They're, they're disgusted with the whole system. They don't want right. to vote for that's the right. lecture of two people, whether they vote for Trump or Sanders or Buttigieg or whoever, Weld. They're all the same. Mm-hmm. Philosophically, for us libertarians, it's one political party, the Welfare Warfare Party, and it's divided into two wings, Democrats and Republicans. There's no difference philosophically. And so those are the three principal groups that that I would be targeting. Now, you mentioned veterans. Absolutely. I mean, they're the ones who have paid the biggest price for all this foreign interventionism. They can use as pawns. I would bring all the troops home from everywhere, not just the Middle East and Afghanistan, Korea, Europe, World War II is over, Africa, Latin America, and bring them home and discharge them. Get them into the private sector. So that would save a lot of money. And then we start talking about dismantling the whole national security establishment. Amen. Amen. And restoring a limited government republic with a basic military force. But you get rid of the CIA, the NSA. These institutions are antithetical to a free society. You find them in communist countries. They have no place in America. Bam. Bam. Great answer. Loving it. Go ahead, Rayleigh. Loving this interview. All right. So this is not a tough one. Many medical freedom advocates that I work with from all walks of life with no party loyalty want to know who they can trust to protect their right to body autonomy without fail. Tell us your thoughts on forced injections on behalf of the herd, socialized health care and industry regulations. Well, totally against uh, forced vaccinations. I mean, the, the, it'd be difficult to find a better example of a violation of the libertarian non-aggression principle than you know, forcing people to, to undergo a vaccination, it's, it's outrageous. Um, mm-hmm. But people are free to vaccinate themselves, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Now, with respect to Medicare and Medicaid, it's a fascinating question because, okay, I grew up in what the Census Bureau called the poorest city in the United States. That's what they told us when we were kids. That was Laredo, Texas. There was a lot of poverty in Laredo. People lived in shacks and uh, and as poor as it was, though, people in Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, were even poor. But every day, doctor's offices were filled in Laredo with people, most of whom couldn't pay. And, and you know, they'd bring tamales in to the doctor and so forth. But the doctors knew they couldn't mm-hmm. pay. And there was never a case, from what I heard, of a doctor ever turning away anyone. Yes. They would just treat them on a voluntary basis. And then the hospital, the same thing. It was called Mercy Hospital. It was a Catholic hospital. They handled poor cases. Well, the doctors were still the, the second wealthiest people in town because they were making money off the people who did pay. Uh, the, the wealthiest people were the oil people. And so doctors made house calls. Our doctor, when you get, we'd get, you know, step on a rusty nail or something, we'd call him up and he'd say, come by the house. And he'd come out to the car and give us a tetanus shot. 
and nobody had help, major medical insurance right. or, or hardly anyone. Why? Well, because going to the doctors was like going to the grocery mm-hmm. store. Healthcare costs were low. They were stable. I mean, who has insurance for soaring health uh, grocery store prices? Nobody. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So then Medicare and Medicaid come into existence, these giant socialist programs, and that was the beginning of the end. This is what destroyed America's healthcare system. You have this giant artificial government demand on the system that now starts increasing prices. I mean, that's just natural. Right. And then doctors have to adjust. They start forming different associations and partnerships and all these contortions. The government makes it worse because now people are having to get medical insurance now with these soaring prices because of med- uh, Medicare and Medicaid. Well, then the government says, well, we're going to have an income tax deduction for employers to do this for their employees. Well, that totally distorts the insurance market because now people are stuck there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they leave, they lose their insurance. So that stultifies the labor market. And then you've got all the insurance regulation. And you now you've got, you know, then Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, to, to fix all this catastrophe. And then you've got people like Bernie Sanders and the rest of the Democrats, or most of them saying, well, now we need full-fledged socialism because capitalism has failed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's. let's There's no solution to this. I this know. Man, <laughs> get government out of the healthcare arena immediately, and healthcare costs plummet. Things start to return to normal again. It's so ridiculous, though. It's like let's fix government with more government that actually created the problem. It's like, it's like the joke, you know. It's like. You know, the antivirus companies are actually making the viruses to sell you the cure. You know, it's, I find it hilarious because this is what's going on. And you cannot solve problems by more government. It's just going to make it worse. And all it does is it creates more of a need for the average individual to depend on the state. Anyway, so make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro-liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on seven nights per week on 190 radio stations coast to coast. That is amazing. And it's pro-liberty every issue every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket and Raylene Lightheart talking to Mr. Jacob Hornberger. Always launching ideas. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Ray of Truth, Miss Raylene Lightheart. Bam! Hey, thank you. What a fun show. Yeah, it is. Great. We're talking to the one and only. He's going to be the Libertarian presidential candidate. I just know it. Mr. Jacob Hornberger here on the show. <laughs> well, you guys really make a guy feel welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> we are the funnest Libertarian show out there. I swear to you, sir. We are. So what we, I can't argue that. <laughs> what we do in the second segment, sir, it's called Rocket Fire. Rocket what we do on Rocket Fire, sir, is I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related. And if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be awesome. Mr. Hornberger, are you ready to play, play? Rocket Fire? Bam. I'm ready. Question one. What do you think is more important, economic liberty or social liberty, or are they one of the same and why? Economic liberty, because people have a right to keep everything they earn, decide for themselves what to do with it, and to sustain their lives through labor. 
And out of that, then people can find meaning in life and value in life and pursue happiness in their own way. So I think economic liberty is much more important. Rock and roll. Question two. Do you think the goal of libertarianism is a stateless society? No, I think it is for some libertarians. But for me, the goal of liberty is a free society, which I consider it can only come about with a limited government republic. Rock and roll. Question three. Is state paternalism ever really justified in a liberal democracy? And what is wrong with paternalism? And what are our future outcomes from it? Uh, no, it's never justified because it's based on the immoral principle of using force of the government to take money from one person and give it to another person or to put somebody in jail because he's ingesting something that his political daddy doesn't approve of. A free society necessarily presupposes living your life the way you want to live it, as long as it doesn't involve the initiation of force or fraud against another person. Rock and roll question four. What is your take on collectivism and why is the individual more important than the masses and how can this idea be foreign to most Americans? Well, my perception of uh, collectivism is it's an immoral philosophy. The sanctity of the individual must always come first, the sovereignty of the individual. And the, the individual is, stands above the collective because it is his life. Each person it was born with one life to live, and he has a right to live that life in the way he chooses. And what the problem with collectivism is it, it sacrifices the individual and the freedom of the individual for the greater good of the collective, and that's highly immoral. Right on, sir. Question five. What do you think is the most important and impactful action to combat the warfare state? The alternative paradigm of a limited government republic. A, the, the warfare state involves coups, alliances with dictators, foreign aid, invasions, assassinations. A limited government republic rejects all of those, and there's transparency in government. That's why our American nation started out as a limited government republic and re rejected the whole idea of a warfare state. Right on, sir. Question six. Who was your favorite previous presidential candidate or nominee and why? Well, it'd be um, a tie with, with uh, Ron Paul, who I think is just heroic. I mean, I, the, the guy is just, he's one of my real life heroes. I actually went door to door campaigning for him in the 2008 presidential race by uh, going door to door in the New Hampshire primary in, in the middle of winter, which I hate. Uh, and then the second one is is Harry Brown. I think Harry Brown has run the most principled campaign in the entire history of the party. And uh, both of those individuals have had a big positive influence on me. Right on. Great answers. Question seven. Most of the public land in the West is held by the federal government. How would you go about releasing the land to the states or the people? And is that even within your scope as president? Well, it is. And it, it should be. And the, the federal government should divest itself of ownership. I mean, this is just another classic example of socialism. I mean, here, here they, you know, they say, oh, we're a capitalist nation when the government owns, I don't know, a huge percentage of the lands out west. But don't put it in the hands of the state. That's even, that's just, you know, decentralizing socialism. Put right. it in the hands of private individuals, however way they want to do that. Sell it, auction it off, raffle it off, just put it in the private hands. Right on, sir. Question eight. What is your take on nuclear disarmament and strategic arms treaties? 
Well, I like the idea of treaties. I, I dislike the idea of unilateral disarmament. I, I think that it's much better to think in terms of establishing free trade and open immigration. In other words, stop the isolationism of the of the private sector, lift all sanctions and embargoes, and then you establish these mutual uh, relationships with foreign people that where the, the incentive to go to war essentially evaporates because there's all these interrelationships between the citizens of different countries. You know, we don't have nukes pointed at people in Mexico because there's no chance of that ever happening. That's what we need to establish with everyone, China, Russia, Iran, Korea, Vietnam, everyone all over the world. Question nine. Are all gun laws infringements on the Second Amendment? Yes, they are an infringement on the the right to keep and bear arms, which precedes the, the Second Amendment. You know, our rights don't come from the Second Amendment or the First Amendment. These are restrictions on the power of government to infringe on our natural God-given rights that pre-exist government and pre-exist the Constitution. Question 10. What do you prefer, the Constitution or the Articles of Confederation and why? Well, I prefer the the Constitution properly understood, but with modifications. I, I favor a limited government republic. I think there's tremendously positive aspects of this. And I like the, the, the due process clause. I like the idea of an independent judiciary. It's just been perverted under our welfare warfare state. Uh, but properly understood and with the proper e- amendments, I think we could, we could really get a free society in our land. And the bonus question, this one is the hardest question of them all, Mr. Hornberger. This one will stump you. You ready for it? Yes. All right, you ready for it? This one, this one's tough. The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, or the Animals? Pick one. Well, can I pick Elvis instead? <laughs> you can pick Elvis, that's fine. It's kind of in there with the Beatles, right? Well, let me tell you why I pick Elvis. Okay. You're going you're gonna to have a hard time believing this, but I actually reached the pinnacle of my life when I was in the eighth grade. Because okay. I met Elvis Presley. Oh, wow. And I was on a student council trip, and we were we happened to just stop at a motel in Oklahoma City. We were on our way to Wisconsin, and the rumor was that Elvis was staying in this hotel, in this motel. Okay. And so I found out where his room was and went and knocked on the door. <laughs> I, was, I was in the eighth grade, and this great big burly guy comes to the door, and I said, well, I heard that Elvis Presley's staying in this room, and I'd like to meet him. <laughs> so really? The guy just crazy. gets angry. There's Elvis. He slams the door in my face. So at midnight, we're down there playing cards, the four of us, four students by the pool, and up saunters the king himself, Elvis no Presley. No way. Yeah, yeah. And he's all dressed in black, and he says, hey, I heard y'all were, were looking for me. <laughs> really? Oh, that is crazy. Nuts. He sat there and, and chatted with us for about 20 minutes, and all I remember is one question that I asked him. I said, is Ann Margaret here with you? <laughs> he said, no, but I sure wish she was. There you go. Wow. That that is that a cool- was the best of my life. It's been downhill ever since. Oh, my God. That is the that is cool. Like, I've never met anyone who has met Elvis. Who's met Elvis? You actually what? met the king. Not at the 7-Eleven. That is nuts. That is cool. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'll tell you. Anyways, so hold on really quick. That's Rocket Fire. Give it up for Mr. Jacob Hornberger here on the show. Damn. Oh, that's great. All right, let's get back to the show. Raylene, take it away. 
All right. Okay. I oh, I had a question, but you guys like did it kind of. It was really funny. I'm just gonna do it anyway. This one's for fun. I'm not sure you know about this, but Johnny is an extremely talented artist and even has a comic book series. So if you had a super team created of libertarian presidential candidates, past or present, who would be on it and what would their job or superpowers be? <laughs> Since your call signs Liberty Man, I mean, we could just do that. That's who you are. Okay. <laughs> I Liberty Man leads the leads force. force. <laughs> I think they've all been fantastic. I mean, you go back to John Hospers, Ed Clark was just such an impressive candidate, but you've got... Um, Roger McBride, and then, you know, Michael Bagner, Harry Brown, Gary Johnson did fine work in both terms, Ron Paul. I, I put the whole team together and make them all superstars. So on my superstar team. It sounds like, Mr. Hornberger, that you'd make Gary Johnson definitely Aquaman. Because <laughs> <laughs> nobody likes Aquaman. I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, yeah, my next question is, what is Aleppo? Just kidding. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, right, I'm going to bring it serious. I'm going to bring it home. The right, strange so animal that you find in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. People would be looking it up. Is he right? Is he right? You know, here's the thing. You were talking about immigration as being a libertarian thing. And, I, you know, absolutely. I get it. But people have the freedom of movement, but they don't have the right to trespass. Can you maybe elaborate your position on immigration why open immigration? And what is the distinction between public property and private property? And how does it relate to borders? I know this is a big one. Yeah, it's, it is a big one. And and we're often accused, of, those of us that advocate open borders, of favoring the abolition of borders. Well, that's ridiculous. I like borders. I mean, borders establish jurisdictions. I just want people to be free to cross them. And, you know, we're so accustomed to open borders domestically then nobody gives them a second thought. Right. For example, there's an open border between Maryland and Virginia. And every day, countless people cross the, into Virginia. They could include terrorists. In fact, several years ago, they had two snipers that were crossing the border and coming and killing Virginians. And, and then there's people that come in to do harm, uh, murders, rapists, and so forth. But we don't control the borders. We keep them open because that's what you know, freedom is about, open borders at least domestically, because people have been, they've grown up under this system. Nobody right. questions it. Well, the same system applies internationally, that if suddenly you just had open borders between Mexico and the United States, which used to be the case for the first hundred and some odd years of American history, people mm -hmm. were free to cross back and forth. You retain their citizenship. Mexicans would come over, they'd retain their Mexican citizenship, but they could tour, they could invest, they can open up businesses. If that happened today, I will guarantee you that tomorrow, nobody would pay any attention to it. All the crisis would be over. You wouldn't even know who's a citizen. You wouldn't care who's a citizen. I mean, right. today, you care who's a citizen. You hear somebody speaking a foreign language, do you go over there and say, may I see your citizenship papers? Exactly. You don't yeah. care. And so that's the only way to resolve this crisis. But the border remains. And, and so people come into Texas, they're now subject to Texas law. They commit a crime. They can't say, well, no, you can't prosecute me because I'm from another country. Bull, you're now in your new jurisdiction. So that's where we're trying to get people as, as libertarians to think in terms of open borders, same way we have domestically. And then the, you get rid of the death. Now, notice that the reason people are trespassing onto private ranches in the Southwest is because they're not permitted to just cross the bridge, which is a publicly owned bridge, a government owned bridge, uh, peacefully, like mm -hmm. human beings. Okay. 
when you cross the uh, the Potomac from Virginia into Maryland, you you cross a bridge. Well, okay, so that's how people would operate in an open border fashion. They'd cross the bridge, they'd drive the highway, or they they would take a bus, or they'd take an airplane, but there'd be no more trespassing because they don't need to trespass anymore. And that there would be no more death from, from a crossing on the Southwest uh, deserts, uh, the public lands there, because there'd be no need to. People dying in the back of 18 wheelers. There's a, there's a famous photograph now of a, a father and his three-year-old daughter on the shores of the Rio Grande, their bodies that happened just several months ago. Right. They drowned. All that disappears with open borders. So open borders is consistent with religious principles. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, moral principles, freedom principles, and practical principles. It harmonizes people's interests. Absolutely. So, okay, let's hear your take on the DNC's presidential candidates. What do you believe you'll be up against if you get the nomination? And what is your strategy? Oh, I salivate. I mean, I really want this nomination so bad because... (laughs) (laughs) Get them. Go get them. <laughs> they are. They're moving into this more socialist regime. They've become a warmongering party. They've become really a mirror image of the Republican Party. And 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 President Trump decries them for being socialist while he's over there supporting Social Security and Medicare and promising to preserve them, along with other socialist programs like public schooling, the Federal Reserve. Immigration controls are a socialist program. They're based on central planning. So... I mean, to me, they're like, you know, Tweedledum and Tweedledee, these two parties. And it just, it would be so wonderful to be able to go after both of them and hold them both to account for what they've done to our country. They're both leading America in a very bad direction. And, and what I tell people, look, if you're happy with the direction that America's going in, and, and Trump says, well, you should judge it by the stock market and the unemployment rate mm-hmm. and the interest rates, this is nonsense. Life Life has more meaning than that. Look, there's young people committing suicide on an ever-increasing basis. What's that all about? I mean, you can understand older people maybe committing suicide, life's turned against them, but a young person starting out in life, that's a conclusive sign that there's something dreadfully wrong with this society. Yes. But if you like the direction America's going, vote for Trump, vote for uh, Buttigieg, Sanders, whoever. If you want to move America in a different direction, Come and join up with me. Join up with us libertarians because we will lead this country in the direction of freedom, peace, prosperity, and harmony. Awesome. And I have one more follow-up. What are the what talking points for libertarians are the easiest to market to voters in the US right now? Because honestly, a lot of the parts of our platform that have been old school since the 70s for us, people are just talking about. Even the sex work is work plank on the Libertarian Party is being talked about by a lot of liberals right now. I mean, what, what's the easiest stuff to sell? I think the easiest thing to sell is the overall general philosophy is, look, you have a right to live your life the way you choose. As long as you're not raping, murdering, stealing, defrauding people, that your choices may not be the most popular. They may be disapproved by people. You may be ingesting substances that are harmful or destructive. You may be educating your children in a way that other people don't approve, maybe not sending your children to church. Uh, You may be going on vacation when you can't afford it. But this is the essence of freedom, that you have a right to live your life the way you choose without being punished or put in jail for it. And I think that's the cell, the major philosophical cell that we should be making to the American people. Rock and roll. Okay, so I have a personal question here. So were you a veteran uh, Army officer? Is that correct? Infantry? Yes. Okay. 
This is interesting because I want to know, we just had a show regarding, you know, a lot of veterans who were in the military and how it changed them and they became libertarians. And some of them have become anarcho-capitalists and, you know, been wanting to spread the message of liberty and finding ways to help veterans. But how was your military experience? Did that affect your outlook about liberty? I mean, because it did for me because all the fraud, waste and abuse of the state. Did that have any impact on you? Yeah, but actually in a in a different way, because I went to college at Virginia Military Institute. And this is a total military school. Right. Everybody has to be in, in the Corps. There were no civilians at all. And it was at the height of the Vietnam War. It was from 68 to 72. And we had a Marine Corps superintendent or the president of the school who who thought that college life should be a a version of Marine boot camp at Paris Island. And so it was a very, very harsh regime. Now, I got a great education out of BMI. It got me into law school. So I'm very grateful for that. But the military structure, there are people sometimes ask me, you know, what'd you get out of VMI? And I said, well, I got a great education. But I also learned what it's like to live under a combination socialist, fascist, tyrannical Mm -hmm. regime. That's right. There is no, there's no justice. Justice is totally arbitrary. There are no rights like the Fifth Amendment or whatever. Uh, the the state takes care of you. You're in your room at ten o'clock. You can't go out. You you can't go out on weekends. You can't have a car. I mean, it was a strict regime. And so I learned that I don't like socialism. I don't like <laughs> yes. you know. And I, I haven't yeah. discovered libertarianism yet. Yeah. But when, then, when I later discovered libertarianism, I said, ah, now I realize why I didn't like that structure. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's the same thing happened to me. I was, But I saw it from a different perspective. I just saw us wasting all this money all the time because, you know, I was a warrant officer when I got out. And I was just like, my God, this is ridiculous. And that's what kind of got me into the, that led me down the path. And then all of a sudden this Ron Paul guy came out. And just at the same time when I was leaving the military, And there he was. And it was like the perfect timing because I was already, you know, kind of disgruntled by the by the army and the military. And then I found Ron Paul and it was just like, whoa, craziness changed my mind, changed my life. Very cool. It was cool. It was a good. That's my there's my entry to libertarianism story, everyone. Okay, so, Mr. Hornberger, one final Uh, question. Oh, go ahead. Add to that, 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 you know, Ron was getting a lot of his money from veterans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in active duty because they understood that he was speaking the truth. And there's that famous exchange when he was in that debate where he said, hey, the people in 9-11 came over here for one reason and one reason alone, because we, the government, was over there killing people That's in right. the Middle East. That's right. Yep. And Absolutely. they all, like Rudy Giuliani went ballistic. But I think people in the military instinctively knew this was a man telling the truth and that the troops were being used as pawns. Just like, look what they did in Vietnam. They sacrificed some, you know, 60,000 of my generation. And that was one of the most moving parts of being at VMI is when they would announce in the mess hall that one of a VMI grad had been killed in action in Vietnam. I mean, you could hear a pin drop across the room and, and they just, they just sacrificed these 60,000 for nothing. And I think that's why Ron attracted so much attention. And I, I would like to hope that I would do the same if I'm accorded the honor of this nomination, because I can talk to military and saying, man, they are using you as pawn. That's right. 
That's right. Mm. I love it. I love it. Okay, final question. Mr. Hornberger, how would you explain to the common man, because this is what comes up to me all the time, and I, there's a lot of libertarians who are not libertarians, but liberty-minded people who are just disenfranchised by the state and by the, the government, but they would also like, you know, how would you explain to the common man on how a free system of, or a free market system of capitalism is different than how they see it today? Like big insurance companies with large buildings, military contractors, oil companies, big pharma, you know, their careless attitude towards the consumers and the predation on taxpayers and customers. And how is that unethical? They have a hard time differentiating crony capitalism from free market capitalism. Can you give us your spiel on that? Yeah. And, and it's perfectly logical when you're indoctrinated in public schools into thinking that this is a free enterprise system and everybody's indoctrinated with that. You do a survey and does America have a free enterprise system? Oh, yes, absolutely. Capitalist system. And, and so then you have all this so-called crony capitalism where these big corporations are getting grants and bailouts and they're in bed with the government. That is not what we libertarians defend. Here's an exposition of what we favor as far as the picture of a free society. One where people can engage in, in any enterprise they want without asking for permission from the state. No licensing laws, no permits, no none of that, that permission business. You want to start an enterprise, you do it. But consumers are sovereign. They decide whether you're going to stay in business or not. You keep everything you earn, 100%, and no IRS, no income tax, and you decide what to do with it. No more mandatory charities, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, farm subsidies, foreign aid, nothing. You keep it all 100% charity. Uh, then you're free to travel and trade anywhere in the world without government restriction. No more sanctions and embargoes and putting you in jail because you've traveled to Cuba. <laughs> yeah. Capital accumulation um, and, and sound money, no more Federal Reserve, sound money, a free market monetary system. That's what would be increasing standards of living at an exponential rate. Legalization of all drugs. You can ingest whatever you want to ingest. Drug addiction belongs in the drug rehab programs, not in the penitentiaries. And finally, a limited government republic where there's no more state-sponsored assassinations, invasions, coups, foreign interventions, where the purpose of the government is simply to protect the nation from an invasion, which is a non-existent threat. And so you have a limited government republic, no CIA, no surveillance schemes, no massive military empire. That's the picture we present to the American people as libertarians. Rock and roll. All right, Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Your body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Mr. Hornberger, give us your dot coms and how people can donate and support your campaign. Okay, but first of all, guys, I'm having trouble with this seatbelt. Was it inspected by the government? <laughs> no, it's just our it's just our own little thing that we do. It's <laughs> it's not really a thing. You don't have to wear it. I'm just really we're landing and I just wanted to make sure that, you know, we're safe. You know. We're okay. in a damn ship, sir. We're in a damn ship. <laughs> okay. <laughs> JacobForLiberty.com. People can keep up with what I'm doing in my campaign. I've got the blog section. I've got 
the uh, upcoming appearances. I'm going to be at the Washington State uh, Libertarian Party convention, Raylene, on Friday night of the convention. I'll fly out early the next morning in case you're going to be there. And uh, they can come to the uh, the media section. The interviews like this are all posted there. And I need support. I mean, we're kind of low on funds. And, and so I would love to get some donations from people who who like what I stand for and, and would, would like to make me the, the nominee and then come to the state conventions. They're very exciting. Yeah. Every convention I've been to so far, there have been more people running for delegate slots than slots available, which makes it very exciting. I mean, there, there's some, there's some electricity going on in this party. There is. And again, Mr. Hornberger, I love what you have to say. And you know what, you're taking a very Ron Paul approach and again, I think you're like, you could be the Ron Paul 2.0. As a matter of fact, I say you are the Ron Paul 2.0. And I'm, I was honored because I was actually looking forward to having you here on the show. I think you're articulate, you're humble, and you're professional, and you have class. And I really do appreciate that. And it's good to have somebody who's, you know, as much as I think Vermin is the greatest guy in the world, and I love having a beer with the guy, you don't have a boot on your head. And yeah, I think that's, it's great. I think he's a yeah, great Johnny guy. Johnny really but, cares a lot about that boot. So I, I, I this, he means it. Johnny means what he's saying to you. Yeah, right? you know, I mean, it's just, don't make a joke out of our principles. That's all I got to say. And that's the only thing that bothers me. It's just like, don't make a joke. We're here for a reason. Let's present ourselves as professionals because this is what we want to do. We want to spread the message of liberty. Let's do it without the gimmicks. And I think gimmicks are cheap. Let's do it with logic, reason, and actual heart and soul. And that's how I think we should be doing it. I totally agree with you. And thanks for the nice compliment about Ron Paul. I mean, that's, that is a nice compliment. He's one of my real heroes. If I could accomplish half of what he accomplished in bringing people into liber the libertarian movement, I'd be a happy man. There you go. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket with Raylene Lightheart. Give it up for Mr. Jacob Hornberger. Bam. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Honored and pleasure. Okay, Raylene, what do we got going on next, though, with Mr. Hornberger? Before you. Oh, well, if you like the show, make sure to go to supportblastoff.com and subscribe. That is supportblastoff.com. And if you give us a dollar an episode, you get to hear the after party, and two bucks, you get the all nighter, too. And you get to hear this. What? What do we have to hear? We get to hear Jacob Hornberger get put on blast by a lot of people. So lots of questions. Uh, a lot of questions. There we go. Well, it's been a while since we've yeah, done we're this. Like, we've been on vacation. So. <laughs> we've been on vacation for a while. Mr. Hornberger, <laughs> thank you so much. This is Johnny Rocket, Raylene Lightheart, signing off. See you next week. Rock and roll. Oh,